Hello everyone, this is Nolan with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to say thanks to all of our awesome patrons. If you like our show and want to support us, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash the Forge Herald. Thanks everyone, hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick, and I will be your host today as we have another special episode where we're going to be talking to Dave Sirucco and Tony Oliveira from 23rd Century Productions about their game, Battle Lords of the 23rd Century. Battle Lords of the 23rd Century is a science fiction tabletop role-playing game where players can assume the role of mercenaries, misfits, soldiers, spies, pirates, and heroes adventuring in a war-torn universe. Dave and Tony are both writers and developers of this game, and they are here to tell us all about it. Tony, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about Battle Lords of the 23rd Century, because, you know, as much as role-playing games as I've played, uh, unfortunately for me, I've lived in small towns that have very small game stores, so I've never heard of this game. But I've seen people like, the gentleman gamer Matthew Dawkins talking about this game. So obviously there is a real passion for this game. So one of you, I don't care who, explain to me what is Battle Lords of the 23rd Century? Battle Lords is a primarily a military science fiction role-playing game. Um, it has been around since about 1990. It was written by uh, Larry Sims, who uh, attempted to popularize it all across the United States by uh, doing the convention circuit. And uh, uh, he also owned a game and comic book store in Buffalo, New York. And uh, uh, under uh, uh, Larry's guidance, it got through three editions. And then he got tired and uh, decided to hand it off to uh, a couple other gamers, one of whom was his art director at the time for the game. And they got it through uh, three more editions to sixth and uh, and then we took over but uh, the game is based uh loosely on larry's experiences as a uh, as a u.s army soldier and uh, back in the 80s uh, he was in the army and so it's got a you know it's military science fiction but it's definitely got a, an authentic military vibe that was instilled by larry when he wrote it because it was based on his personal experiences in the service Oh, wow. And Tony, you actually worked on some of the previous editions of this game as well, correct? Yes. Yep. I um, uh, wrote a source book and participated on a couple other source books uh, for sixth edition. So how did the two of you come to this game then? We'll start with David. Well, actually, Tony brought me to this game. <laughs> uh, we were in college and he said, hey, why don't we try this game out? Um, kind of thing. I think you'll like it. And uh, yeah, we've had a blast ever since. The things that draw us is just there's a there's a certain amount of a dark humor. Yeah, there's a dystopian kind of a flavor to the whole setting. Uh, so kind of a Blade Runner-y feel mixed with a fifth element kind of a feel where the companies will just fire 10 million people. We only need 1,000. 10 million. You know, you're just a number uh, to some respect, but if you work together with your team, you can survive really dangerous situations and, and have a little bit of fun doing it. And how about you, Tony? I first encountered Battle Lords. It would have been Gen Con probably 1990 uh and i was walking through the convention hallways and this is back when they would let game manufacturers just post flyers and there was a three by six table out in the hallway up in in milwaukee wisconsin and on it were these flyers with these incredible pieces of art by uh the the, the art director uh mike o and i was like i have to find this game 
And so I went up and down the exhibit hall at Gen Con looking for it until I finally found it. And of course, it was way in the back. And uh, there was Larry uh, pitching Battle Lords, third edition. And uh, uh, Larry could sell air conditioners uh, to people living in Alaska. And uh, <laughs> it didn't take long for him to, to sell me on the game. And, uh, and uh, like Dave, I've been in love with it uh, ever since. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think one of the first things Larry said to me is, you know, do you like space samurai and armor? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. And as somebody who grew up in Alaska, I would have loved to have heard the, the pitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is obviously the seventh edition of the game that, that is out now that is available on drive through RPG. Is there, is there a, oh, is there a way that people can order the physical copy through you or is it print on demand? How can people get their hands on the physical book? We can, uh, it's available uh, all over. It's available through distribution. It's also, a hard copy is available through Studio 2 Publications. It's available through Indie Press Revolution. Um, it's available um, through our website. You can also, believe it or not, still get it through the pre-order link on the old Kickstarter, even though it's not technically a pre-order. It's a, it's a retail order at this point. Um, and any brick-and-mortar retailer can order it either through Studio 2 or Indie Press Revolution or through their distributors. We're, we're slowly building the number of distributors that carry it. But I know there are uh, distributors in the United States, Canada, and the UK that currently stock it. And it's a massive book. It's like 570 pages. It's huge. I think it's 544. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I just remember yeah. I was scrolling through it the other day, and I'm going, wow, this book is huge. It's like yeah. the Meiji Ascension uh, 20th <laughs> Anniversary Edition. <laughs> Over so thick. That was... <laughs> Uh, one of the uh, funny things about uh, uh, you said printed on demand. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to do with the book is is meet or exceed industry standards, and that included materials. And there's not a print on demand company that can actually meet our requirements for the book. It's all which is why it's printed traditional offset lithography. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've got a copy of Pathfinder Second Edition laying around, it's a hundred mm -hmm. pages longer than our book. Our book is a pound and a half heavier. And <laughs> that's because of materials. <laughs> wow. So let's talk about the game itself, because really that's what people want to, and, and what I want people to know about, because I listened to Red Moon role-playing play this game, and, and they played the, the Last Resort and the Space Resort, and I thought, man, I've got to play this game. i got to get my, my group to play this game, because this sounds like a lot of fun. So with this being the seventh edition, what are some of the major changes that took place for this edition versus the last one? Dave? So in, so one of the things that we really try to do is in the weapon space, really start to unify things. So when we think about militaries, so we're in a setting in the far future. There are 14-ish main alliance species. They've all been in this intergalactic war for a while. Well, one of the big things that you learn from NATO is there's a reason why they have NATO 562 and NATO 762, right? But you have a standardized round because you don't want to reach over to your buddy and go, I need a magazine. You grab one. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't fit. Uh, I can't pull this trigger and make it do anything. Uh, we've got, can we surrender now? So that, that was one of the challenges in the game was the, the weapons had their each, each gun almost had its own little unique cartridge that it would take or that, you know, would magazine that would fit or energy or whatever. So we wanted to unify energy and damage we wanted to give people a much broader range so the original core rules uh using dnd type terms took you to like 10th or 12th level we wanted to be able to take you to 20 so you have a much broader range of experience you can go running around with a stick 
a fork and maybe a little tiny 22, or you can go running around in big mechanized armor looking like you're in a big, well, we call them Humpties, but uh, I'll pull out a Chieftain here in a second. Um, so you can walk around in something much bigger and take on much bigger things. So you can see a Chieftain. So big mecha type things. You can see the Humpty reference. It looks like a big egg with arms. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I love uh, the picture of the Scissorak with the, it looks like a minigun on its back. Yes. yes. Um, so that yeah, was one right. of the things we wanted to do. Um, we wanted to simplify auto fire rules auto fire weapons obviously have a lot of capability in the real world and in the game system it got clunky and so we wanted to improve that uh, we wanted to look at how armor worked and simplify that as well uh, we wanted some consistency so um when we roll there's been a general consistent there's been a tendency towards in the, in the previous editions a zero one or on a hundred percent you know percent of die ot one really good but not always so we wanted to make it consistent ot one something good just happened unless it's damaged but everything else is like where'd you hit you hit something important if you get out one if you're rolling on a random table for something to happen out one is good double zod that's which really because i've never i've never uh played with the d100 system and that is a system that battle lords uses and i was surprised when i read that a roll of 100 is bad mm -hmm. it's, it's flipped so instead of a crit fail being a one a crit fail is a hundred, or, or roll twenty or twenty twenty side of d twenty type systems. A twenty is a fail, and a one is a success. Right. Yeah. And the reason for that is is because everything is percent presented as a percentile. You have a sixty percent chance to succeed. Or you have a twenty five percent chance to succeed. You're always trying to roll under your chance to succeed. Um, uh, so we, you know, the lower is better, uh, in the battle or systems, ex except for damage. But yeah, one, one of the things that, uh, and Dave sort of touched on it that we really wanted to do was just streamline and simplify the system. I mean, it's been around for 20 years now, 30, 30 years. And, um, you know, people like battle lords for battle lords and we didn't want to change that, but we, you know, there were places where it could use a little polish, use a little simplification. And that's really what we aim to do. We keep throwing around the term battle lords and that actually means something in the game itself. So what is a battle lord? Uh, in the game, essentially all, all your characters strive to one day become a battle lord. And uh, as, as Dave said, in the, you've got this alliance of 14 species and they're dealing with an invasion of these two other, um, species and the the military forces have decided that they just they can't police everywhere at once there's just too much space so what they do is they take their best and their brightest and they essentially give them state-of-the-art equipment and a ship and a, a, a crew for backup and they're responsible for policing a certain section of space and uh, and they they become a battle lord they are the uh the the knight in armor so to speak protecting that that sector that zone and and they have to do it on their own because backup is a long ways away and so they have to rely on their guts and initiative and and their tech to get the job done and within uh, the setting they're worshiped like heroes or or celebrities and uh, and just like real celebrities, some of them are real buttheads, and <laughs> and others are legitimate military heroes. And and part of it that he alluded to there in terms of the setting is is the places that the characters are going to be when they're playing are generally going to be sort of a wild west feel. You're you're off way away from most people, um, so you've got kind of that that Texas Ranger kind of a feel to a battle. Lord. You know, mm -hmm. they say to do things, things are going to happen. 
Um, and if you see one showing up, it's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Things are going to happen badly for you. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> we mentioned the D100 system. And again, it's a system that I'm not familiar with. We mentioned the, the flipping it of 100 being bad, one being good. Um, explain how the D100 system works within the game. Because I was listening to some of the rules that they were making in Redmond role-playing, mm -hmm. and I was absolutely confused by those. And I did read the quick start okay. rules as well, as, as well as skimming the core rule book, and I thought it would be great to have either of you explain that to us. Sure. Um, so at its simplest, um, you have a skill. Let, let us say um, you are trying to hack a computer. Let's say you are playing an Orion character, and you have to get into this computer system to shut down the reactor for this ship before it takes off or the rest of your team can't get you. So we would assign a difficulty to that. Okay. Um, and that's difficulty is going to be a modifier. So you're going to take your normal skill and you're going to have it on your character sheet. Maybe it says you're really good at this. You have an, a, a hundred. Let's say you're really good. Right. And you think, wow, I'm, I'm guaranteed to be successful. So, well, the modifier is they, they didn't type in password as, as the password. It's, it's, it's actually not a weak password they put in there. You've got to hack it. So we're going to put it as a, let's call it a minus 40. So now you've got 100 minus 40 is a 60. Well, that's still pretty doable. Okay. But there's a time constraint. Oh, yeah. Let's give you another minus 20 for time. Oh, okay. Now it's down to minus 40. So you start with what is your skill, and then you start putting modifiers. Um, okay. Maybe they had, maybe say, well, can I look under the keyboard, see if they tape something under there? Oh, yeah, there's like five things written down under there. Oh, hey, I'm going to give you a bonus of plus 60. So now you can, so you have ways of just kind of adjusting it. Now you just total all that up. Let's say you took the minus 60, the minus 40 for the beginning, the other minus 20, add back in the 60 of finding that, that little sticky notepad that had things written down on it. So oh, back to 100. As long as you don't roll 100, you're good. If you roll the 100, something bad happened. <laughs> So are your skills zero to one or one to one hundred? Then can they go over one hundred? They can. Uh, everything in the system basically uh, tops out at one hundred and fifty, uh, and it's because of those modifiers. If you're doing something like uh, uh, Dave's hacking example, I, you know, I want to hack into NORAD using, you know, my my portable computing device, it's like an iPhone equivalent. That's probably a negative one fifty. Um, you know, things like that. Uh, so the, uh, the the system actually goes over a hundred. You can get up to one hundred and fifty uh, in any given skill, but there are positive and negative modifiers that can affect that, and and again bring, as Dave said, bring the chance of success back down under a hundred percent. Okay. Did previous editions of Battle Lords use the D100 system? A, a version of it. The version in 7th edition is slightly different um, when dealing with um, how, the mod how the percentages are calculated uh, and dealing with, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, superhuman statistics. Uh, but, it's, but essentially, yes, they both use the D100 system. You've mentioned that there's an alliance of these 14 races. And, and again, there's 14 races and there's a lot of them. And I know we're not going to have time to cover them all here. You know, just and it, I go back to listening to the Red Moon role playing and knowing that there's some animosity between, I think it was, I forget, it was the Pythonians and I can't remember who else. Um, there was, in fact, they war with each other. Was it the Cicerax? The Cicerax. Yeah. Yep. So you have this, this alliance of these 14 races. Tell us about a couple of the races. I mean, just enough to whet their appetite because there's a lot and there's a lot of detail for each of these races in this book. 
So I think what I'll do is I'll hit a number of them with kind of a, a one sentence kind of a tag for why would you want to pick pick perfect. Um, so Chilean mind reading whiny little guys that know everything. Sizrak, itty with a tank gun on its back. What more do I gotta say? Fought redneck rabbit with a big gun. <laughs> uh, Keen. Your flying frog scout that can blend in like a chameleon anywhere. We've got, of course, humans and, and genetically engineered humans. That's kind of easy to figure out. Your uh, Tony mentioned your samurai swordsman of the future, mm -hmm. Aradani. Uh, we also have the uh, healer Zen and the mm, anti-healer probably would be a good way to put it. Uh, Zazen, they have a different perspective on morality. Uh, we have the Fentari who believe in survival of the fittest. If they deserve the boss's job and their boss disappears, clearly I was the best for the job. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Pythonians, the Ram Pythonians may not be able to spell cat. You spot on the C and the A, but they can lift the front end of a truck and they can rip your arms off. So you better be nice to them. When they figure out you've been insulting them, it's not going to go out. The Orion Rogue. Um, they're fun-loving. They are all fashionistas. They, they kind of latch onto a, a, an appropriated <laughs> culture, and they just kind of go with it. They all like Scottish right now on some planets, and they kind of go with that theme. Uh, Mutsakans manipulate energy, and they just pull out a ball of fire and throw it at you or suck the energy out of your weapon before you can shoot them. And then you've got the Mazians or Matsians. They transform into anything. They're the ultimate spy. You don't realize if you're standing next to one until you're dead. So you could be one. I can either confirm nor deny that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what about classes? And, you know, a lot of people think of role-playing games. They think about, especially Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder. They can play a warrior. They can play a sorcerer. Are there classes in Battle Lords? Battle Lords is a, is a classless system. <laughs> you can take that however you want. <laughs> but um, uh, but it, it's never had classes. It's always been a, uh, a skill-based system. It's always um, uh, it's, it's always started, sort of prided itself on being a skill-based role-playing game where you can make a character um, and be whatever you want. I mean, in, and uh, we provide some guidance on popular choices, but I mean, you can go as off the wall as you want i had somebody um last week or two weeks ago talking about they had a, a a group of players where they were all fintari and they were in a rock band by day but by night they were bounty hunters and i was like okay go with it <laughs> you know um uh there you know there's really no limits it's it's just whatever your character wants to do we give certain um suggestions in terms packages if you're a marine you're going to have these skills if you're a, a, an espionage agent you're probably going to have these skills but it's really you know your imagination what do you what do you want to do in the universe it's a big place it's really neat so it, it if i want to be a fighter who happens to be very good at playing the piano or or very good at computer hacking i can do that yep. yes that's pretty yes. badass <laughs> And, and actually, that, that was one of the things, because it's always had that, but it never really explored it. One of the things we also did with the gameplay was to really open up the genre. So it started off as pure military sci-fi. You're either in the military directly for the Alliance Army or Marines, or you were part of a mercenary team co-opted out to that, you know, on contract with them. So with the skill-based system, there's a lot of other options. So corporate espionage, pirates, smuggling, 
just living, trying to survive out in the wilderness. So you can think like Firefly-ish kind of settings or, you know, Tatooine where you're just out on the hinterlands trying to just survive. So there's a lot of different ways of playing. Exploration. You can go kind of more of a Star Trek-y or a Stargate University kind of a thing where you're out there trying to explore. Wherever you want to take it, you have a skill set that can be applied there. So I've chosen my race. I've chosen what I want to play. I'm using quotes here for class. I don't want to use class because, like we said, it's classless. Take that how you want. How do I go <laughs> about building a character? Do I roll dice? Are there points? Uh, it's it's stat-based and skills. So the, the simplest part of it is really just uh, a number of different ways of getting your stats. Um, you can roll dice. You can choose best of 10. You can, you can do point-based. There's little choices around there. So you get your, you kind of, really, I suggest everyone have your concept in mind. So if you've got your species picked, you've got your concept in mind, then roll your stats, apply the modifiers for the species you've got to it. So if you're a Pythonian, you're going to have a lot of strength bonus, right? They're big, they're strong. Right. So you, you're going to apply those things. Then after that, you really start getting into a lot of the other pieces. You start figuring out how to pick out your skills and where you want to go with that. Um, you add in some things around how big you are, how much you weigh, just to, again, help kind of round out physically what your character is and record things like body points, movement, things like that. But most of it's really around stats and your skill selection and really kind of getting that all to kind of come together. And because it's point-based skill choices, inevitably, I want this. Oh, I want that. Oh, I got to have five levels of that. Oh, um, well, okay, maybe it's three levels of this one. I dropped that skill and... Maybe I'm not going to be that good as a pilot. Maybe I'm... So you, you'll inevitably get to that. And then, so one of the other pieces of added for guidance is, again, people don't have to start at first level. And it's like, if you want to start higher up, great. We'll work with the game master. The game master may say, well, I want everyone to get just an extra number of skill points so we can have a little robust starting point versus I've got a stick. <laughs> like one of the other fun things about this that I don't want to miss out on. So it's one of only two game systems that I've ever played where you have a certain amount of stuff that's happened in your history. And this is designed for helping you round out your character uh, versus like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Travelers, but Travelers had a whole career system, right? So it's vaguely similar to that in some respects. And you make rolls on the tables. The first two are called, I was just growing up, one and two. It could be something like you excelled in science at school or you're a party animal, stay out at clubs and get kicked out. You're usually hung over in a wreck the next day. Uh, and then you get to... Uh, your career table where you get to pick up something in there at random, and then the fickle finger of fate. And yes, it is fickle, and it could be really good. You could be a genetic just god with really good stats, and you get a bump to everything. It could be you've been affected by some sort of a plague, and everything goes down. Could be you're on a starliner, they got shot down, and you breathe through a mask, and you have a tube at the side of your neck. You just never know. So it makes it a little more interesting. <laughs> how does leveling work in the game? I, th I think to Dungeons and Dragons and how you have, um, you can do based on um, uh, experience or you can base based on meeting certain um, points within the game. Is it your experience for the game? Is it um, experience or is there points like, God, what? Milestones. That's the word I'm looking for here, guys. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are there milestones for leveling? How does leveling work? 
there are uh, just like there are no classes in the game. There are really no levels per se. Um, characters get experience points, um, which they can then turn around and spend exactly like skill points. So the experience points are a good way for the game master to judge uh, how advanced the characters are, or, or by the same token, how advanced the opposition is by how many skill points they have. But um, the only time your amount of experience really factors into, you know, how your character is, is perceived or what they can do uh, is rank. Um, every uh, everyone in in the Battle Lords universe has a rank because you're you're usually employed by either the military or a mega corporation, and they all use a rank system. So your experience um, determines what what rank you are within that organization and your pay as a result. Uh, and the other place it comes in uh, is. Uh, with the matrix controllers, the, the aliens that have psychic powers, uh, the higher uh, they are in their generation skill, and again, it's skill-based, uh, the more matrices they can generate, the more of these psychic powers that they can use to you know, melt your brain or heal you or whatever it is. But um, there's no requirement to say level up. You don't get special abilities um, when you when you when you would level up per se, you're just getting experience, and you spend that experience on stats. And as your stats get better, your character gets better. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, very much reminds me of uh, the game Necromunda, uh, the original Necromunda, not the new one, because I haven't played that. Where you could your characters grew based on their experience and and skills. So it wasn't yeah. necessarily level. That's cool. I like that. One of the things I found really interesting as I was listening to the Redmond role-playing and even reading about it was how combat works. Most specifically about you rolled a hit, you hit, and then you had to roll to determine where you hit. I thought that was really neat. Can you explain how that works? Um, so one of the things that's been in Battlelords for a very long time is it's not just getting hit. So if you just contrast it, you know, it's an old standby, D&D, top secret, well, top secret actually had locations. So D&D. You got hit, you marked off some points, you moved on. And maybe the Game Master might describe what happened, particularly if you did a lot of damage to, a, to an orc. You just did 30 points of damage, the orc's head goes flying across the field and immensely the game of golf, whatever. <laughs> uh, in, in, yeah. in, in Battle Lords, it's uh, a little more military kind of a background. Well, where you get shot matters. If you get shot in an arm, probably possibly not as bad as getting shot somewhere in the chest depending so um simplistically you're going to roll a die um to figure out what section of the body and it's divided into six sections the head the chest one two three four five six for legs so again one is good head down so we were again keeping that consistency um so you can target either by percentiles or rolling a d6 um and for auto fire we added a mechanic where you basically what we call as a rate of fire dial. So, uh, so if you think about automatic fire weapons, bigger cartridges have more recoil, mm -hmm. bigger target grouping, not narrower. Right. That makes perfect well, sense. So we've incorporated that concept in. So instead of rolling a D6 to determine, because you, you've rolled once, you've said, I hit the body. There's my D6. We're on the body. Well, it's auto fire. The next round, there's going to be some jump. So you might roll, it might be if it's one kind of a gun, it might be a D8. And if it's a really bad jump, it might be a D12. So you'd roll those dice, and then you start to figure out where on the body these different shots land. And then as you skill up, and this is one of the reasons to encourage skilling up in a particular weapon system, if you got particularly good at, say, pulse cannons, which fire superheated plasma, rapid spe uh, species, speeds down range, uh, 
then you get to a point where you can start to, you've, you've started to gain skill and you start to group them up tighter. So you have the ability to what we call bump. So you can move shots around so that they start to aggregate in a place as you, you know, think about what would happen in a true, a true real life situation. And that gives you a very quick mechanic versus I have to roll again and again and again. If you have something with say a rate of fire of 30 rounds per second, that's a lot of dice <laughs> and yeah. a lot of math, to which ones hit. <laughs> where they hit and all of that. In this case, we've, we've obviated that to you've rolled once, you've got at least one shot on the body. Now you roll a bunch of D8s, let's say, and you just start grouping them up. Here's all the ones, here's the twos, here's the threes, here's the fours, here's the seven and eights that don't hit anything. They just bounce off the rocks. And so you can start to see where these all go. And if you've got bumping, you can start to play the game a little bit around the mechanics and the min-maxing kind of a feel of well, I want to start to pull all these shots over to an arm and see if I can take the armor apart over there. Because in this game, there's armor. And so sometimes it's not just about hitting the body. It's also where you hit the body and the armor is more vulnerable. You may not be able to get through all of the chest in one round. You may want to just take an arm off to wound them and slow them down. You mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the bump mechanic. And I, and I was blown away by this mechanic. And you've mentioned it a couple times now, Dave, and I, I want I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this mechanic and how it was developed. And and I also was wondering, are there other mechanics that are unique to Battle Lords? So let's start with the bump mechanic, then we'll go to the other ones if there are them. Yep, okay. Uh, the bump mechanic, I think, was pretty unique. Tony and I were tossing around ideas because we had played the previous game for years. It was always fun to pull out a nice, big, fully automatic, heavy machine gun and go to town but then you had to pull out a percent you know, if somebody else did it you're like okay just wake me up in 10 minutes guys uh, <laughs> are you done yet no oh another 10 minutes Ugh. and so it just slowed down gameplay and we're like we, we need to come up with something better than that and we were just kicking things around i was literally out in my farm field pulling up weeds for my pasture for my horses and we were just kicking ideas around and finally we're like we just need a way to randomize and get a sense of whether or not we've hit the body. It's like, well, we've got different weapon systems. They got different kick. It's like, we've got to be able to group things. And we just kept noodling on it until we came up with an idea of dividing the body up and uh, incorporating a bit of the way it used to be, but standardizing it down a little bit. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Tony, but we decided to shrink the chest into one section from the torso and the abdomen, yeah. right? Yeah. That was one, of the one, tweaks one fewer the hit section than the old game. Uh, the old game had seven locations. Uh, which uh, made it difficult to roll a uh, a die seven to determine where you hit. So uh, by consolidating it down to six sections, you could just roll a die six. Um, and if you have a fully automatic weapon, you can roll a handful of die sixes or die eights. And I, I always equate it to Vegas. You know, you're just picking out the winners at that point. Is it six or less? That's a hit. So that was kind of the, okay, we figured out the odd side of things. And then the next question was, but is it fun? And then we started to realize if we, with that bump mechanic concept in there, I was like, wait, we can kind of, you know, you, you're incenting, investing that, that experience in one skill and giving a great reward. Now I can start to take these dice and I can start to manipulate them a little bit. So I can take a leg shot and push it to the chest and I can start to group everything onto the chest. It's like, Ooh, well, there's something. And it goes fast, right? You're just roll this pile of D8s. You start separating them out. Here's the ones, the twos, the whatever. And they start going, well, you know what? I you can see it's very easy to process that visually. I can see what's going to group up well, and I can go. You know what? Based on what I'm shooting, what kind of damage I do, let's just flip them all this section. So maybe I've got a gun that's great for the head. 
I'm just going to move all like an Omega weapon. I'm moving as many shots onto the head to get past the armor as I can. Or if it's a laser, I, I don't want to do that because the laser is going to just bounce right off the helmet's thickness. Let me, let me move them over to an arm and just take an arm apart. Um, the beauty of the system is it's uh, uh, by having different uh, die for different weapons that represent the, the recoil, the kick of that particular weapon, um, you're modeling that. But with the bump mechanic, which is based entirely on the skill of the shooter, you are modeling uh, the proficiency of a more skilled shooter to control that recoil, to walk those shots into the target to keep their groups tighter. So you're modeling the weapon, you're modeling the skill of the shooter, and you're doing it in a way that's faster and quicker than under the old mechanics. Yeah, I was really surprised how that bump mechanic worked as I was reading in the quick start rules because it's explained there. And I thought that's really fascinating. I want to see how that works. And of course, they do it in the Red Moon role playing game. I hear one of the guys are saying, I want to bump that. And so it was really neat to hear how that worked. Um, Dave, you mentioned some of the armor and even some of the weapons. Uh, obviously, there's there's tons of sci fi movies out there. I have to ask, where did you where did you both get the influence for the weapons and the armor itself? Was there anything, one, any one in particular movie or game system or, or just your own knowledge? So, so we were blessed with the previous editions really had a very, very, very rich um, pantheon of weapon systems. I mean, and, 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 a, and really unique. Larry and, and company came up with a very thoughtful approach around how to deal with armor. So I'll, I'll talk about that because it is unique. I've not heard of any other system that does this. The only thing that even comes close to it that I can think of for those old gamers out there, I'm going to date myself here. If you ever built things using the striker rules from GDW for travelers, it's getting into kind of that space, but even, even more nuanced. Um, so you have something they call threshold in the game. We still got it. Threshold is a concept of the thickness of a plate of steel, right? If you've got a paper-thin plate of steel, not going to stop much. If you have a plate of steel, the thickness of our book, pretty much everything stopped, right? Um, that's one concept. Then they have a shock absorber kind of a concept of, that's called absorption, and it takes impact. So you kind of combine those two pieces, and you have a lot of nuance, and you add a third, which is just enough integrity. So if you can imagine, just I'm holding up the book, if I've got one hole in it, probably not likely to hit that same hole again. Shoot it a thousand times, probably not much structural integrity. So, so that kind of frames out the different things. So if you think about it, weapon systems then have three different ways, that, three different things they can potentially have to deal with, right, as variables. The threshold, the absorption, and the integrity. And so weapon systems then start to target them in different ways. Some have to deal with all three, and they just have to fight their way through, like a pulse cannon or a, just a powder weapon. It's got to shoot through the armor. If it does, if you get it, you know, like a heavy machine gun, a Gatling gun, you're eventually going to chew up the entire armor, right? But it's a lot of little holes. So it's going to take a while. Sure. Pulse cannons or disintegrator. Disintegrator is like, you know what? I'm just going to eat away everything. I don't care. <laughs> and when the armor is gone, then all the absorption goes, <laughs> and then I've got a body. Um, and that's just going to disappear pretty quickly. In fact, I don't even have any cleanup. <laughs> that, that was the one thing that uh, we, when we were looking at things that we wanted to streamline or simplify with the game, we were like, we can't, can't really touch it. That's, that's the core of Battle Wars. When Larry came up with that armor mechanic, um, you know, there are, there are, you know, you, 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 you pick your weapon based on which of those three uh, armor uh elements that you want to exploit you know do you want to you know 
uh, ignore, you know, punch through that threshold and then deal with the padding? Do you want to, uh, you know, ignore the padding and 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 deal with that hard outer plate? Um, different weapon systems ignore certain aspects of of that armor. So it's uh, the, what I like to tell people is you can you can probably defend against everything, but you can't afford. <laughs> to defend against everything, or if you could, you couldn't fit it all on your armor. So as long as the other side has a diverse weapons mix, somebody is going to find that chink in your armor, find that weak point. Um, like Dave was saying, we aim Omega weapons at the head because in helmets, you can't get a lot of padding in there. You can get a pretty thick shell, but there's not a lot of room for padding. And Omega weapons basically take a force field and project it at a target at supersonic speeds to concuss them. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you take one of those to the head, the bad things happen. But if you shoot it at the body where there's a lot of padding, they're not quite as effective. So it's it's uh, it's it's a bit of chess in terms of you know which weapon you pick, why do you pick it, and where do you aim it at the other guy? We have armor, we have weapons, we have our character built. We're ready to start playing, and and where do we go? And we have a whole group, we have a whole party. Are there different planets for us to go to? Explain the setting, what what it's like in the 23rd century. What's going on? How many planets do we have? Go into some detail about that, Tony. Sure. There are, um, I don't remember the exact number, and I should because I wrote the damn thing, um, but there are 11,000 planets in the Alliance, give or take. Um, and uh, you have the core worlds, which are uh, the worlds where each of the species basically originated. Um, and then you have um, tier one worlds, which are the the, uh, the metropolis worlds of the Alliance. They have the, they, they're the oldest or, or the most developed. And then as you move out from the tier you run into your tier two worlds and usually your tier one worlds have faster than light gates that allow you to move to other tier one worlds uh so you can go back and forth between the tier one worlds but getting from a, a tier one to a tier two or a tier two to a tier three which is essentially the backwater um you gotta fly there and uh one of the as dave mentioned one of the common elements that battle lords has with horror movies and horror role-playing games is isolation you know, if you can just call the army every time you get in trouble, <laughs> the characters aren't worried as much. But as you move into those tier two and especially those tier three worlds, uh, you're isolated. And uh, really, you know, where you can go, what you want to do depends on the type of game you want to play. If you want to play pirates, you're going to be out in the in the boonies in those tier three worlds, um, you know, looking for people in those isolated ships flying from tier two to tier three worlds to make deliveries or or to deliver supplies. Um, uh, you know, if you're if you're in the army or the Marines or the Galactic Armed Services, you're going to be wherever they send you. But odds are there's going to be an arachnid horde there you're going to have to deal with. Um, if you're working for the megacorps, uh, it can be anywhere you t from a tier one to a tier three. And they may have you fighting uh, other megacorps. They may have you doing corporate espionage. Um, you know, the uh, uh, really the the possibilities are limitless. But at least in our games, and what we recommend uh, to to game masters is push it out away from the tier one worlds. Uh, it, you know, it's, uh, you want some place where you can maybe get a little lawlessness, maybe get away with some stuff that you might not be able to in, in a metropolis. Uh, cause, uh, cause battle lords or mercenaries, corporate mercenaries are not renowned for their, uh, uh, their, their trigger discipline and you get a little collateral damage, but, um, you know, it's always more fun if you're, you're in a, in a lawless area and you have to depend on your wits to survive that's kind of part of the theme is just trying to remind everyone think think 
think Wild West, think like Firefly or tattooing the you know the Rim Worlds and Star Wars kind of thing. Anything where you're out there, and there are others out there, but there's not this heavy you know presence like on Coruscant. You're not going to get away with very much on Coruscant because they're going to have fifty thousand droids after you before you blink, right? So it's it's pick your setting that makes sense for you, and maybe you do go back to visit for something. There's a lot of gameplay options, so you just kind of have to pick what makes sense for the group and where their where their arc of story goes. If somebody is new to Battle Lords and they're trying to draw influence to tell stories or, or even to uh, get other people in, involved, we've mentioned Firefly, we've mentioned um, Star Trek and Star Wars. Are there any other like lesser known sci-fi movies or books that, that either of you drew influence from when you were writing this version of the game? I don't know if they're lesser known, but the, the game certainly still has its roots in the 80s. So a lot of 80s science fiction movies are around the 80s, early 90s, Alien, Aliens, um, Starship Troopers. Um, the, the, star, the book Starship Troopers, I know, was a big influence on, on Larry when he wrote the game. Um, I mean, they still you, you still required reading in a lot of the military academies for a reason. Um, but uh, uh, Dave mentioned... Fifth Element, and uh, what else did you mention, Dave? I'm trying to remember. Uh, let's see, Fifth Element, Firefly. Um, there's a certain amount of like Stargate exploration kind of a thing you could do if you if you want to think Stargate. Um, I mentioned another one. What else did I mention? Uh, Judge Dredd actually isn't a bad way to think about it with the dark humor of Judge Dredd and yes. the being reality that is that is the you know mega city. All right, now I'm going to date myself and because I don't know why it just jumped into my head, but have either of you ever watched the movie Ice Pirates? Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that one just jumped into my head of being in the outer, <laughs> those third world tier planets. And <laughs> yep. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. you be careful which closets on the spaceship you open, uh, especially if the Orions have been running around because you don't know what's going to jump out and crawl around the ship. Um <laughs> Yeah, that that's probably not far off in terms of of the humor uh, in your in your typical <laughs> Battle Lords game. That's, I'm sure that's how it would be at my table. <laughs> so, well, guys, that's that is all the questions I have. What other things did you, would you love to tell people about about this game? Because I mean, it looks fantastic. The uh, the quick start rules are available free. On uh, Drive Through RPG Studio Two, uh, Indie Press Revolution, all have uh, our website. Uh, you can get the Quick Start rules. Um, also, on a lot of those same websites, you can download an interior preview of the book if you want to see what that you know massive tome looks like. And like I said, we think it's a gorgeous book. Um, you can you can take a sneak peek at the interior to see what it looks like. So, um, if any of this sounds interesting, uh, by all means. Uh, check out the the quick start rules. Check out the interior preview. They're all free. Um, take a look. Uh, the 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 uh, uh, system is uh, it's, it's definitely been described as crunchy, but we designed it so you can streamline it as much as you want. Um, when we're running the game at conventions, pretty much use the rules in the quick start guide. Um, for the game so you can streamline it as, as much as you want or if you like um, you know if you like games like Battletech you know you can battle lords can get pretty close to what I call a tactical role-playing game you're just a hair off of uh, you know a, a, a combat miniatures if you want to play uh, so it's uh, uh, you know it, it's scalable Dave do you have anything you wanted to add 
No, I was going to say that there's some other things to think about that we've got baked in here, which are kind of nice, was we do have full floor maps for uh, for all of the ships that we have as starting point ships for all of this. So that's something else to kind of enjoy, right? You start off with some built-in maps you can start to play from. If you want to fly out in the unknown and has a pirate come and attack and attach dock to you and start boarding parties coming on, you, you can start to, as, as Tony was describing, you can get real tactical on that if you want to, or you can at least just have the visual of that as, you, as people just describe what they're going to do. Um, and actually, that's another integrated thing that we didn't talk about, Tony, the spaceship combat system. It's, it's really less about starship fighting starship, and it's more about, okay, you're the pilot. You can be busy trying to pilot this ship and trying to get away from the bad guys who are trying to board you, or the guys that they beamed aboard are actually on your bridge and they're trying to shoot you. Do you want to shoot them or do you want to fly? Because you've only got time for one. <laughs> so there's some uh, interesting gameplay options in there. Um, the other thing I would say is if you're interested in playing the game and you want to get help with things, we do have a pretty active Discord group that answers questions all the time about things. So I would say just uh, you know catch us um, and we can get you that Discord link and just jump on there we're on there fairly regularly checking in as people have questions and getting them answered pretty quickly um, and there's a number of people that have played this game for years that understand what the probable answers are or have flat out got in the book here it's page 27 right there there it is <laughs> um, and then you also get into those what ifs what if we have and and some people have come up with some pretty elaborate things and it's kind of nice to be able to kind of get into if people want to get into the well how would this really work if you had this and this and this and this and this Oh, wow. Okay. You've really had some time to think about this one. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things we encourage it. Um, one of the guys who play tested the game, um, Keith, um, we always joke, you know, you know, he's a munchkin, he's a power gamer. And he would joke back, no, I'm a point efficient gamer. Um, so when you're dealing with a Keith, uh, you, you, you have to have a robust system. And ba the game system in Battle Lords is actually designed um, so that if you if you dig through the book, you can find little, you know, golden nuggets of, oh, you know, that's if I mix this and this, um, you know, it's designed to be min-maxed if you want to. It's designed to give characters or players all these options where, you know, oh, I want to create a suit of armor that's awesome against lasers. Oh, well, I had this and this and this. You can do that. It's not going to break. Um, it, it's, it's made for that. Uh, and we had... Thankfully, one of the best play testers you could ever want for that because he would, <laughs> Keith, it's been three hours. We need you to finish your character. <laughs> I'm almost done. I've got it perfect. Um, you know, it's, uh, that's one of the things I tell people when they worry about that. You know, oh, what, if, what if this character's stats are too high? Or what if they, you know, it's like, you're, you're not going to break the system. It's, it's, it's robust. It's, it's designed for people to do that. We encourage you to do that. We want you to dig through the book and find those goodies and see how you can combine them. Yeah. Like Dave said, people come up to us like, oh, we, we didn't think of that. That's cool. <laughs> it's almost like, I mean, just a different game reference. Magic the Gathering, they have card combinations, right? Where if sure. you have this card, this card, all of a sudden, you know, this card's not that great. That card's not that great. But you put them together or you put them together when this thing's in play and all of a sudden, that's it. You're knocking everybody out of the park. And so there are those nuggets that just come together really nicely. And all of a sudden people are like, how'd you do that again? Mm -hmm. I, how much did that cost? Can I afford that? <laughs> and as a combo player for magic, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so guys, one of the things I love to do on my show is give people that chance to give me their elevator pitch. Tell me why it is I should be playing battle Lords of the 23rd century. Dave, you want to take this one? Sure. 
put you on the spot. <laughs> All right. So I like to tell people, you come up with your character concept, you go, and it could be just about anything, because we can model all kinds of things. You're buying out your skills and all of that, and you play the way you want to play in the environment you want to play it. If you want to be playing in an espionage world, great, have at. If you want to be playing more of a strategy, you're trying to survive out in the wilderness, taking on jobs of dubious background, that's okay, too. You can play it, you can play it above the law, you can play it below the line and make your way through the world as you want and so there's a lot of flexibility and have fun the most important part of this our rule number one is more fun to do something a little different have fun it's really about having fun well cool guys thank you so much for coming on my show i really appreciate it if people would like to get a hold of you and and have questions you mentioned the discord or other what are some other ways that people can get a hold of you we're on um just about every social media um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, our webpage is battlelords.com. Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash battlelords. Twitter account is at battlelords or at battlelords RPG. We have two. Battlelords is uh, the battlelords account is Prunella Frump, who is one of our spokes people in, in the game. Prunella is an aged uh, retired colonel who works for Balsham Weapons Corporation as their spokesperson and on twitter she's our unofficial spokesperson uh and she's got a bit of a snarky sense of humor so if you go to battle lords instead of battle lords rpg you may get a snarky answer depending on what you ask colonel frump um, <laughs> and uh, like i said we're we're uh and on most of those sites we have a list of every other every other site we're on too so we're we're not too hard to find and once again, I just want to say thanks to both of you for coming on our show and telling us all about Battle Lords of the 23rd Century. And that's our show for this week's. Thanks. And that's our show for this week. And remember, if there's something you'd like us to talk about or if you know of a game that, that we just haven't covered and you want to hear us cover it, be sure to reach out to us. You can find me at 307RPG on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's our show for this week. Goodbye. <laughs>